Good morning. I did not know how long that was because we didn't have it in the first service. So, uh, my name is Brian Matthews. For those of you that don't know me and those that do, well, you know my name again. Um, I was here six months ago. So, about six months ago, my wife and I and our three boys uh, were sent out from the brook to start a new uh, church in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, I had the privilege before that to pastor here for about two years. And so I know some of you from that, I know some of with 2020 and all the changes, uh, we're new to each other, so welcome and nice to meet you. Um, but I had the privilege of being asked to come and, and to preach and to bring God's word. Didn't know this weekend was going to unfold the way it was, and there's many people out sick and isolated and having fun with COVID. Um, my prayers and thoughts to you. Uh, so this is, a, I'm kind of the last resort, so hopefully... I live up to the expectation, uh, but um, all joking aside, um, we do uh, are thinking about those that are not able to be here, um, knowing that sickness is really um, affecting us as a family, this church, um, the realities are our city, our world, um, not just COVID, but um, sickness of heart, sickness of mind. And so uh, with that, um, I am going to be preaching on a pretty weighty subject. Um, I was told, hey, we're doing a sermon series on the glory of God, and I was kind of excited. I was like, oh, that's cool. I really like this topic. Uh, you know, I got to study it with school. It was something I'm interested in, um, but I quickly learned as I was preparing for not like a class or a test, but for to preach God's Word. It's different to know something intellectually. It's different to study something academically through a book than it is to actually experience something. And the glory of God is not something that's just an idea, it's not just a discussion topic, it's not just a topic to be studied, but it's, a, it's something to really be experienced and live out of. It's something that affects every part, every piece of our life, and I was confronted by that. And I was left in a place where it, just this feeling of unworthiness and inability to really do justice to the topic um, but reminded in the same breath that I do this not in my own strength, but the strength of the Spirit. And so if there is going to be any fruit from this, if there is going to be any change of heart and change of life, it's going to be because of the Spirit and not because of me. And that gives me freedom this morning. I hope that gives you freedom because you don't have to rely on my abilities or inabilities, my strengths or my weaknesses. You can rely on Christ to do the work, the Spirit to do the work in your heart and your mind. And so... Um, the idea of the glory of God, right? This, this thing that in many ways, as Muchi has said the last few weeks, like it's kind of hard to come up with a definition. It's kind of hard to really give a definition that does justice to what it is, right? So you have this, these ideas of like, it's all of God's being. It's everything that he is. Okay. What's that mean? What does that look like? How does that affect me? But what I've come to realize is there's this weightiness that it signifies. It's this kind of weight upon us that the glory of God is really signifying. David Wells, he's a um, pretty popular theologian. He says the, the problem with the church, the problem with the church today, it's not inadequate technique, right? It's not that we um, haven't brought in the right business skills and the right knowledge and we haven't come across with the right technique. It's not because we're insufficiently organized and we're just a chaotic mess organizationally. And it's not even because we do outdated music. He said the true problem with the church today 
is that God rests too consequently upon the church. His truth, God's truth, is too distant. It doesn't connect to where we're at. His grace is too ordinary. We can move beyond it and think that somehow we, we experienced his grace when we came to faith and now we've got to go find something else. It's too ordinary. His judgment's too benign. It doesn't mean anything. We, we can, oh yeah, God's, he's a judge, but whatever. Like, let's just, it doesn't affect me. His gospel is too easy. His Christ is too common. He's just one among many. And his glory is too light. Is that us? If somebody were to look at your life, the way that you live, you proclaim to be a Christian, would they say that your Christ is too common? That the glory that you ascribe to is too weak? The gospel you live by is too easy? If so, I think we need to check our hearts and ask ourselves, do, are we truly believing, are we truly living according to the gospel as we find in the scriptures, or one that we've made up. A God that we can mold and bend and get his weightiness off of us when we need to. Or do we have a God who's weighty, who's got substance that keeps us grounded in the darkest of days, in the most intense of suffering and pain? Because if our God cannot hold us in those moments, then we do not believe and live in light of the God of the scriptures. We do not live and believe in the God of David, King David, Shepherd David. And so our, verse, our, our passage this morning is going to be um, Psalm 8, as was read earlier. Right? And what we're going to see is that David was moved by this weighty being. It called him to something. It drew him out of himself into something else. To experience life differently. Let me just read and pray real quick. Our Lord, our O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established the strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little bit lower than the heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with the glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me pray. Lord God, I just pray for for clarity, for strength. Lord God, that we would, all in this room, we would be confronted with you, not with some idea of you that we've come up with or that we've heard, not some construction that we've made because it's convenient or it's easy, but God, would we step in front of you and experience you for who you are? May we see your glory and be moved by it. May we see your grace and your love and be changed by it. And may we, as we leave this place and we come and 
experience life with you, would we be a reflection of that glory? Would, would the world look at us and say, they possess something different? Because you have given it to us. It's with, in your name I pray. Amen. Have you ever had a time where you've kind of, you've engaged with something maybe, you know, for science buffs like me, you look at the stars and you're intrigued, you're kind of brought to a place of awe, or maybe you look at cells and you're just like, the intricacy and just the details and how this thing works, it's just like, it, it's crazy. Or maybe it's a piece of art, maybe you're more artistic, right? And you, you can stand in front of a painting and you're just like, the details, and I'm not an artist, I don't know all this stuff, but you're there and you're just like, because you, you know the people that do art and not, right? Like when you go to a museum, like if you get in a muse, an art museum in an hour, you just said it so you said you went there, right? Like the people that truly embrace it, like stand in front of a painting for an hour. Because there's something that it's connecting to in them. Or maybe it's a piece of music that connects with us so deeply, we just, we don't have words to describe it. We try and describe it to our friends and it just doesn't do it justice. We're like, just hear, just listen to it. Just look at it, because we can't, our words aren't adequate enough to describe what we experienced. There's a reason for this. And the reason is because they're, they're little glimpses of God. They're little glimpses that God has put in this world for us to experience his glory. Professor James May says, we as humans, we subconsciously are moved by this need for ecstasy. The disclosure of another who is what we are not and confronted by another in the aura of whose power we find possibilities not our own. We have this long, we're drawn intuitively to something that's different than us. Yeah, we like worlds that we can kind of create and we can keep within Control, right? In 2020, 2021, let's be honest, has shown us that's just not the world we live in. It's not a world we can control. But we're drawn to this thing, it's kind of technical term, is the transcendent, this, these things that draw us beyond our everyday experience. They help us get us out of the pain of the moment or get us out of the monotony of the here and the now. That at somehow provide a little bit of meaning, a little bit of purpose to this life we live because the everyday doesn't seem like it has any. We're drawn to that because we're drawn to God himself. And David sees this, he expresses this, right? I, I read this song, Taylor read this song, but if we're really going to do this song, this is a song. This is David, he's doesn't have words to comprehend what he's experienced in the heavens, so he just breaks out in song. Has anyone done that? Like, you're so joyous, you're so overwhelmed, you just kind of break out in song, and you don't know why? That's what David's doing. But I didn't sing it because you do not want me to sing. Will told me, hey, you're going to lead worship. I said, no, we're going to cancel service. Um, so thankfully, Salitha and others led service because we would run out the other way. But this is what David's doing. He's so overwhelmed by what he experiences, he sings praises. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avengers. When I look at your 
heavens in the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made. He's looking, right? You kind of get this idea, like speak, thinking of him as a shepherd, right? He's, he's out in the pastures. It's different for us in the cities, right? And Miami is definitely brighter than New Orleans, but New Orleans is still a city. And when you look up, it's hard to see the stars, right? One of the advantages we have in New Orleans, it doesn't take us far to get out in the middle of nowhere of Louisiana, the swamp of swamp, right? There's no lights around. You probably don't want to be there because there's other things around. But what you can do and what David definitely saw was the beauty of the stars, the constellations, right? Have you ever seen that, that, that um, app on your phone where you can like put it up in the sky and it shows you where all these stars and you're like, I don't see any of these? That's what he saw, but he saw it clearly. And he was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed by what he saw, not because he understood it. He didn't understand the, the wholeness of what he saw. But what he did and what he could comprehend, he could do nothing but praise. Are our lives marked by the praise as David's was? The majority of, these, of the book of Psalms actually are psalms, songs and prayers that David wrote. His life was marked by song of praise because that is a natural inclination, just as we said, like when we're overwhelmed with joy and overwhelmed with all, like we just start singing, we just start making up tunes or we connect with songs that we know that are in our heart. There's something inherent to, uh, to that. Are our lives marked by praise? And if not, is it because we don't have the lens by which to see the glory that's around us? Are we distracted by the things of the world? By the things of, that are pleasurable, the things that are exciting, that we don't actually see the things that are truly glorious? But there's something just kind of crazy and mind-blowing, like God, David highlights a very specific aspect of God's glory and creation. You probably didn't pick it up because we just read over it. How did he make the heavens? He made it with his fingers. He used his fingers. He didn't just speak it and it was. He didn't just like throw it, you know, like the old Andre Agassi where he like hit with the tennis ball with paint on it and it just kind of was there. Like, he meticulously created it with his fingers. He took the dust and, and the water and he created the world as it is. He created you and I. Every detail of our lives, every detail of our being was created. It was not accident. We have a God who's artistic. The greatest of artists is our God. Which is why we're drawn to awe and praise when we experience it. But the other thing it should lead us to, if this is our God, if this artistic, intentional, all the way down to the details God, if this is who we believe and who the scriptures say, we should be the most curious people on earth. Because we desire to experience and, and see more of God's glory because we believe it's in the details. Are we curious people? Famous atheist Stephen Hawkins, 
he, he was asked kind of towards the end of his life, you know, what is purpose of life and so on and so forth. Everyone knows like he was pretty ardent uh, towards the end of his life of there is no God, we're just kind of a bunch of atoms, we're just here, there's not a lot of mean, there's no meaning in life. But he, he did attempt to try and give a little bit of meaning to life, right? He said the meaning of life is to be curious. And however difficult life may seem, there's always something more you can do and succeed at. So the meaning of life is to be curious. But my question, the thing I walked away with is, if all we are is just atoms, just accidents, just cause and effect, and we're here today, we're gone tomorrow, the universe forgets us when we pass away, then what does this curiosity really do for us? What meaning does it really provide? It feels more like a band-aid to a bigger wound. Makes us feel good, right? So like, you know, a lot of, uh, um, especially secular atheists will say, religion is just a manufacturer and kind of help people um, assuage pain and suffering. But there's no validity to it. Well, this feels the same way. Because there's no reason to be curious if there's not a God behind the design. If there's not a God behind the stars and above the heavens. There's not a God in the pain and in the suffering. It's just nihilism. It's just, it is what it is, and we just deal with it. But we believe in a God who's in the details. But it's not just the details of the heavens. And sometimes we can just stay there. We can just say, especially like as Christians, we get enamored with the immensity of the heavens, right? So you've probably seen teachings all like, the universe is this big, and the solar system's this big, it's this many years and it's like, how many of us really walk away very changed by much of that? Because those numbers are so large, they don't actually compute with like our everyday life. But the thing that David highlights is that God's glory is not just contained above the heavens, right? It's actually not even contained in the heavens as we read uh, in 1 Kings. The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain your glory. So what does he do? He's so overwhelmed by what he sees, and then when he comes to bring his eyes down, right? So you think he's in the, looking at the stars, he brings it down, and he sees humanity. He sees others. And what's he driven to? He's driven to a question. Based on what I see, based on what I've experienced in the heavens, what is man that you're mindful of him? Why did you choose man? Why did you choose humanity? to imbibe with a unique experience of glory. Why not the elephants? Why not the lions? Why not the hippos or the this or the that? Like, so much. There's so many options that God could have chosen. He could have just not given anyone any extra glory and just said, hey, it's all the same. But he chose in his loving kindness to do something unique in humanity. And again, David's so overwhelmed, he just doesn't understand But are we that way? Or do we just think there's, we've done something or for some reason we deserve this extra significance and dignity on our own? Or do we truly understand that it's the grace of God that's given this? And it's not just a little bit of grace. Because it says in verse 5, you have made them a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. And you crown them with glory and honor. 
In the Old Testament, this idea of glory and honor, it is only described to God. God is the only one described as glorious and honorous. The only one do glory and honor is God himself. What is he saying? The glory and honor that's due me, I give to you. The glory and honor due me, God, this glorious, all-powerful being, I give it to you. This is where, as Taylor said, I guess it was Mucci, uh, that idea of the image of God. This is what we're talking about. That God has, for some reason, in his gracious, loving kindness, chosen to give us this glory and honor that is not due us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We don't do anything to keep it. And one of the dangers, I think, especially in the church, is like we will say, okay, we, we understand that. So that means when we, for those believers, they're the ones that have the glory and honor, but everyone else doesn't. That is not what he's saying here. And that's why we can pray the prayers that we prayed. Because there's dignity and glory and honor in every human being on this earth. Because every single one of them is made in the image of God. And if we are not moved when, they, when humanity is hurting, if we're not hurting, we, we don't understand this. If we're not brought to tears when we see life taken, whether it's the unborn, the born, the mature, the old, if we are not moved to tears, then we don't understand the true dignity, the glory, the honor that we all inherently have. I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us are indicted in this room on this account. We all have this tendency to create another, whether it's skin tone, whether it's political views, whether it's age, supposed usefulness, your, value, your life is valuable, yours isn't, oh, you've lived your years, it's time for you to move on. We, we do these things. And what we're saying is, God, yeah, you say that we all have value. We are all glorious and honor. But ah, not here. Not in this place, not in this moment. That's not an option. We can't, we can't do that because we betray something of God himself. But the reality is if we're honest, it's like, I get that, I understand that, but how? How do I not do this? How do I make sure I don't do this in any area of life? Like we'll go out today with all the zeal and, and, and energy and all of a sudden we fail and we're like, what, what happened? Right? Like, one of the craziest, most baffling things, like, I've been, until two weeks ago, I was working at Starbucks for eight, the last eight years, right? And you get to see interesting people. 
just in case you all want to know, people, interesting people live in New Orleans. They live here. They live in Louisville, Kentucky. There's interesting people everywhere. But one of the saddest, saddest things I ever saw, um, and it wasn't a one-time thing, is you would see individuals berate, dehumanizingly berate people with workers because they didn't get the drink quite right or because they didn't hear the order right and they got something wrong. But then they would turn around and provide more dignity, honor to the dog that sat in the passenger seat. We flipped the table. God, yes, there's signs of, of glory even in dogs because that's part of his creation. But there is something unique about the glory that is in every human being. And the moment we flip that around, this is what we get. This is what we got this week. Those Asian women's life were devalued. They were less than. This can't be. But we can't do it in our own strength. We should feel that. We should be moved to say yes and amen for glorifying and praising God of the heavens and, and wanting to display and experience God's glory in humanity. But when we get to the end of ourselves and we're honest, we, we can't do that. We don't have the power and ability to do it on our own. But there's this little kernel of grace in the psalm that is so easy to miss, but I want to get your attention there. Did you see the wording? In verses 4, that's it, sorry. What is man that you're mindful of him? The second part. And the son of man that you care for him. Some of your Bibles will say that you visit him. They're both signifying the same thing. It's not, it doesn't change what this means. We get to experience God's glory because Christ came and visited us in that darkest of night, when we're at the end of ourselves and we're like, God, we do not see your glory around us. All looks dark. All looks bleak. All looks hopeless. God said, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I will visit you. He's not this God that just stays up there and kind of does the big things in the world and you've got to figure out the rest. He comes into the details, the nasty details of your life. And he says, I am here with you. Because I'm going to show you my glory, but I'm going to also use you to display my glory. And this comes primarily through the Son of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we idolize Christ, like in this way of like, we construct him in this way that isn't, sorry, does not align with Scripture. Yes, he was sinless. But he did not have an easy life. He was a carpenter. He used his hands. He labored. He walked the streets. He did everything that we did. He experienced life as we did, except for sin. But he did it for a purpose. He did it so that we could experience glory again. So that we could 
see glory around us. Eugene Peterson says, our problem is that we are so self-preoccupied that we've got tunnel vision. That we've become so full of ourselves that everything's going on around in my life that I'm basically like this. I can't see the glory around me. I can't see the glory above me. Christ meets us there and he lifts our head. He comes to lift our head so that we can see again. He comes to remind us through faith that we were made in the image of God, we still possess the image of God. But something happened in Genesis 3. The fall affected that image. It did not erase it. Some people will say it erased it, and that's not what the scriptures tell us. It never went away. You are still God's image bearer. But it did get covered over with dirt a little bit. Right? If you kind of think back, he created with his fingers, and he left his imprint on there. Right? He left his, his fingerprint on you. Sin covered it up. Christ comes and starts wiping away that dirt again. And the more that dirt gets wiped away, the more we believe in who he is and what he's done for us, that he has given himself for us, that he is the foundation of our salvation, that dirt begins to wipe away more. And our eyes begin to get a little clearer. And we can see the glory around us. And we can display the glory within us. But we cannot do this on our own. You do not, I do not have the strength to do this on my own. It is only, only by the grace of God that we can do that. And that's what the author of Hebrews says. And man, I I love this passage because it connects, it's a truth that connects with our life. Because sometimes we read things and we hear things, oh, that sounds great, but that's not what I'm dealing with right now. All I see is darkness. All I see is bleakness. All I see is suffering. All I see is inhumanity, injustice. All I see is this stuff. The author of Hebrews says, me too. Because he takes this verse that we were just reading in Psalm 8. This is in Hebrews 2, if you want to look. Uh, Hebrews 2, starting in verse 5. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world. It wasn't angels that he gave his power to. No. It has been testified somewhere. This somewhere is Psalm 8, just in case you were wondering. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. This is referring to Christ, right? He left nothing out of his control. But at the present time, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. The author of Hebrews understands. Yes, this is a truth we proclaim that Christ has come and Christ has died. That Christ is in the work of displaying his glory in and through us so in, uh, and allowing us to experience glory. But there's still sin in this world. There's still brokenness in this world. And we cannot act like it's not there. We've got to be honest with life that we live and the world that we live in. But we see him for a little while while he was made lower than the angels namely Jesus, 
He's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Did you see how, how Christ got his glory? Because he died. He suffered death. He tasted death for everyone. There's freedom found in Christ. There's not happy-go-lucky life. No, that's, does, that's not here. There is a day for that, but that's not today. But there is freedom. There is power. There is grace. There is mercy. And there's glory. There's a reason to be in awe. Because one died for us when we deserved it not. And so where does this lead us? Right? We're enamored by the glory of God in the heavens. We begin to see the glory and humanity around us no matter how different they may look, no matter where they may live, we begin to see the glory and humanity around us. And we receive the glory that is Christ through faith. Where does that leave us? It leaves us where we began. Did you see how David ended the psalm? Did you notice what his final words were? Read them just in case you forgot. It said, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's the same place he began. What he saw in the heavens, what he is seeing in humanity around him, what he's hinting at that's coming in Christ, it leads him to the same place he began, which is, I don't have words for what I'm experiencing. I don't have words to clearly articulate everything that's going on around me. All I can do is praise. All I can do is praise when I'm in the darkest of valleys, when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, because God is there with me. All I can do is praise when everything is working out beyond I could ever imagine, because God is there too. And he's everywhere in between. Because I think sometimes, if we're honest, we really like to concentrate that God is with us in the darkness. But God is with us when everything is going right, too. And the minute we think we're there on our own, we're about to go down the other side. Because it's God's grace and loving kindness that has brought us to that place. And he hasn't forsaken us there, and he hasn't forsaken us in the valley, the shadow of death. And so where you are today, I don't know. That is one of the challenges of not knowing y'all in the same way I did for some of you. But the encouragement I want to give to you is the same encouragement I've received. Because the, honestly, the last six months have sucked. Some people will tell you, hey, going to plant a church is this great thing. It is. 
It is what God has called us to. I have no questions about that. But there's lots. There's loss and there's pain. And now each of us are dealing with our own. But the thing I've had to come to my end of myself is that God is with me. He hasn't called me out and left me. But God was actually already there, and I met him. But again, just like the author of Hebrews, it doesn't wipe away the pain. But it does give it purpose and meaning. And with that, I, I live, we, we must live each day. And even in those tears, we can still sing songs of praise because he's worthy. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Words are not adequate to describe you. Your grace overwhelms us. Your, your mercy is without end. Lord, I pray for each of us in this room and for those that are watching. You know where we're at. You know what season we're in and what season we've come out of. You know what season we're going into. What you remind us here is that you care for us so much so that you visit us so much so that you gave your son, Jesus, for us. But he reminds us, for those that are, have faith in him, there is actually one better within us. That you have given your spirit to reside within us, your children. Would that give us hope? Would that give us reasons to sing songs of praise? Because you are worthy, and you alone are. It's in Jesus' name I pray.